Let me add my greeting to uh, what your leaders have already done. If you're joining us from Saratoga, you are a part of this church family. If you're joining from Latham, you are a part of who we are. If you're joining from Half Moon, you're a part as well of this family. Many of you are joining us online right now. We're so glad that you are also a part of this experience. We're just excited about what God is doing in our midst. You know, back in 2004, I had a wonderful opportunity to go to Los Angeles for four weeks. Now, I I really flew back and forth because I was preaching every weekend here, but I was teaching uh, out there every weekday evening in a different church in the Los Angeles area. And it was in preparation for for a big, you know, crusade that was happening, a Billy Graham crusade in that area. And so I got to go to some really cool churches and, and teach people in what we called Christian life and witness classes. But uh, my base was Pasadena, California. Gorgeous weather, perfect almost all the time where the Rose Bowl is and the Rose Bowl uh, parade that happens on New Year's Day. And I had driven in California a number of times but I had never driven in the Los Angeles area. And so because some of my classes were up to an hour away from Pasadena, I, I got introduced to the wonderful freeways <laughs> of California. What a blessing. And you know, there's so many of them. And there are so many cars. You wonder, where are all these people living and coming from? And, and there would be six to eight lanes going this way and six to eight lanes going this way. And I know we talk about rush hours, but honestly, it's just almost always rush hour there. Well, the first week as I was driving to my classes, one of my teammates, one of my colleagues, on the Graham team joined me, and so it was fun. We, we hadn't seen each other in a few years. It was good to reconnect, and, and he joined me as we went, but because he was with me, I got to go over in that far left lane called the HOV lane. Sometimes call it the carpool lane. It stands for high occupancy vehicle. And so that lane, you can drive in if there's two or more people in the car. And almost all major cities in the U.S. have high occupancy vehicle lanes now. And it's a way to reward drivers for kind of doing their trip together. It cuts down on air pollution. It cuts down on energy consumption. And it's just a great idea. And so we just breezed along, kind of looking with pity on all of our fellow drivers over in the lanes to the right. And we got there so fast, it was amazing. But the next week, my friend didn't join me. And so I couldn't get over in the carpool lane. It was just myself in the car. And so I had to go along just so slow over in the right lanes as I made it. It took me almost twice as long to get to my destination. I was frustrated, I was tired. I was ready to give those ancient cryptic hand signals to my fellow drivers on the freeway. It was just awful. And I missed out a lot of benefits because I didn't do the journey with someone else. I think think there's a spiritual lesson in that for all of us. God has designed 
the Christian life so that we're honestly better together. There is no such thing, in the Bible at least, as Lone Ranger Christianity. God designed us to be better when we're with one another doing the journey together. We flourish, really, as Christians when we're in healthy community with other disciples. And so that's the reason I'm beginning this very brief, just two-part series today that I'm calling Better Together. Because, you know, we we miss out on a lot when we try to do the Christian journey alone. And yet, can we, can we just acknowledge the reality we're in, at least here in the Western world, in the United States, this is true. It's not true all over the world, by the way, but it is true in our particular culture. Here, here's what I mean. Many professing Christians are opting out of the local church altogether. That's just a fact. In fact, Since the COVID-19 pandemic, here's what the surveys say, that church attendance has dropped across the United States of America by up to 40%. Actual physical attendance. What do you blame that on? Well, many blame it on the pandemic. Others lay the responsibility at the feet of preachers. We ought to be more exciting and more dynamic. Others say, look, Maybe the people weren't saved to begin with. Maybe they weren't really regenerate people. So, hey, they just fell away. What can you expect? Others take a more, uh, you know, kind of high view of things and go, look, this is just the way Western culture is going. We're kind of going the way of Europe, and, and there's increasingly sort of a marginalization of the Judeo-Christian worldview. Some just blame it on apathy. You say, Pastor, what do you believe? I honestly believe it's a combination of all of those factors and even more that I could mention. Now, I'm thankful that here at Grace Fellowship, we count people. Did you know that? We really do. And I like to say, and I know it's so cheesy, you wanna throw up on me, but we count people because people count. They really do. People matter to God, and so we count people. We wanna know the condition of our flocks, as Proverbs 27 tells us to. And here's the truth about us. We have seen, since 2020, 2021, we have seen a steady growth since that time. In other words, people are streaming back and getting involved again in the life and ministry of the church, and so there's a surge, a surge of growth right now, and I, I and all of our other leaders are really grateful for that. So we're excited, we're happy, but here's my concern in this series. My concern is for those persons out there who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but but have no active church home. They're driving over in the right-hand lanes. They're trying to be kind of a Lone Ranger Christian, and they... They're not over in the high occupancy vehicle lane. They're not getting the benefits that we all have when we do this journey together. And so my goal, my goal in this brief little series is to remind all of us who call ourselves followers of Christ to remind us of the vital role that God has designed the local church to play in our lives. Now, let's define that right up front. What do we mean by local church? It's not a big fancy institutional idea. 
the local church, when I talk about church, I'm talking about any grouping of people where the gospel is preached faithfully, faithfully and accurately from Scripture, where baptism and the Lord's Supper are observed on some kind of regular basis as ordinances of the church, and where there's some sort of realistic accountability or what we call church discipline. In other words, we've got brothers and sisters who in love call us to be accountable to what the code is in the Bible that we've all agreed to. Because there is a moral code there, there is a way of life there that God's called us to, and and that's what we're doing. Wherever those things are present, and you've got a group of people who are following Jesus, listen, that is a church. That's a church. So just want you to know up front, that's what I'm talking about. And Grace Fellowship just happens to be one of those expressions. There's so many in our capital district area. Grace Fellowship is just one of those. But I'm concerned about the person who says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but right now has no active involvement in a church at all, in any meaningful way. I'm concerned about all the benefits that you're missing out on. So to get us started, let's look at a snapshot of the early church. What an exciting passage this is. It's found in Acts chapter two, starting in verse 47. And this is a a brief description of life, what it looked like in the early church in Jerusalem. So let's look at it together. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We're gonna come back to that and hone in on that in just a moment. But let's go on. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, through the years, as you might imagine, I've been asked many times by people who were either retiring and maybe moving to the wonderful South, which has all the wonderful benefits of warm weather, or I've been asked by people who maybe got a job promotion or a different job in another state, or people who were just moving closer to their family, whatever the situation was. I've been asked literally dozens of times, Pastor, how can I find a good church? I want to find a good church like Grace. I love Grace, and I want to find a good church. What should I look for? Here's my standard answer. Here's my standard answer. I would urge you to find a church where you can grow the most and where you can serve the best. Where you can grow the most and serve the best. There's a lot packed into that. As a believer, God wants us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a long marathon journey. It's called sanctification. He wants us to literally be growing year after year after year and becoming literally more like Christ, our Lord. But he's also called us to serve, to give back, to 
to not become a proverbial Dead Sea Christian, amen, where all the water's flowing in, but nothing's flowing out. See, when that happens, it's a disaster. When that happens in any Christian's life, any of us, we've become a reservoir rather than a river. We've become a clog rather than a channel. God wants us to grow, he wants to invest in us, and he uses many different resources to do that, but he also wants us to give back. And when those two things are happening, whoa, look out. You're you're gonna see a flourishing life. You're gonna see a Christian who is just going from glory to glory, from victory to victory. Oh, there'll be downs and there'll be hard times and struggle, yes, 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 but you're gonna see a Christian who's really seeing progress. So how can we be that kind of people? Today, I wanna talk about that first part of my standard advice. Find a church where you can grow the most. I would suggest to you that these early Christians in Jerusalem were really, really growing. And one of the reasons they were growing so much is it says in verse 42, if we can look at that again together, look at it with me, it says they devoted themselves, it's a very interesting word, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now for us, remember, they had actual living apostles who had literally walked with Jesus They had those apostles in their midst, and so that was their authoritative source of teaching. We have no apostles like that today, like that, but we have the written word of God. So that would be be the equivalent for us of the apostles' teaching. We have the written word of God in what we call the Bible. And they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now that word devoted is very interesting. It means they committed themselves to these things. So they committed themselves. They said, look, we're gonna gonna get into the habit here of doing some stuff. We're gonna have some disciplines that we're committed to, and one of them is we're we're gonna look at the teaching of Jesus together, and in our case, what the Bible says, okay, And they also had the Old Testament to look at at that point. That was Holy Scripture to them as well. They shared together in fellowship. They shared the Lord's Supper together. And they prayed with each other. Now, my question is, whoever you are, I'm on your team. I'm for you. That's the reason I'm I'm so passionate these two weeks that we're gonna spend on this. I just wanna know, do you have a group like that? Whoever you are where you're doing those things, brothers and sisters, where you can do those things together. But hear me now, that wasn't all they did together. In fact, there's a whole bunch of other things, and we're gonna look at some of them right now on the screens. These are direct phrases out of the Bible that they also practiced with one another because The Christian life was meant to be lived in community together. So look at some of the things they did together. These are commands from Scripture for everyone who's a true Christian. So ask yourself, are these things happening in my life? It says they were to love one another, be devoted to one another, live in harmony with one another. These are actual phrases from Scripture that 
real Christians are, are supposed to do. Accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another, agree with one another, be kind to one another, bear one another's burdens. The list goes on. Submit to one another, serve one another, forgive one another, admonish. That means <clears throat> kind of exhort or in a positive way, challenge another Christian. Encourage one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Now, that's not an exhaustive list. In fact, that, that's a sampling. If I put the whole list up there, whoo, 57 one another's just in the New Testament. 57, that's how long the list would be if we put them all up there. But based on that list, are you getting the idea that the Christian life was not meant to be lived in isolation, but it was meant to be lived in fellowship with other believers? So, so here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's why this is what's so important. I can never become all God designed me to be unless I'm engaged in these life-changing practices with other disciples who are with me on the journey to maturity. Let me put it to you this way. Based on that list and all those one another's, 57 of them, I need the church, the people of God, and the church needs me. Now, if you remember that passage we read earlier from Acts 2, it mentioned two different kinds of meetings they had. One was they met together in a big group. In fact, they did it every day. I'm glad we don't meet every day. Whew, that'd be a lot. That'd be a lot, honestly. But they, it was all fresh, it was all new, and they all were right there, so they didn't really have to go far. Many of them who were there were, it was kind of special because they thought they were gonna go home already, but they were just staying because they'd come for a feast called Pentecost. And wow, God blew their minds, and so they were just staying for a while. So they were all there, close. And they met every day in Solomon's colonnade in the temple courts. Every day. Big meeting, exciting, boisterous, probably pretty loud when they all got together. But they also, if you read that text, it says they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Do you see the two meetings? Big meeting, little meeting. Big meeting, little meeting, and both meetings are good. Now, big gatherings like this, I think, are wonderful. I get stoked by them when a lot of Christians come together in one place. In fact, Debbie, my wife, would tell you, you preach better when the room is full. I'll just tell you that right now. So if you want better sermons, show up. Let me tell you, I preach a whole lot better, honestly, when the room is full. It's just a fact. It's, I can't understand it. I can't explain it. But it is absolutely true, and we've both noticed it through the years. I just preach a lot better when the room is full. But do you have a church experience like this where you have both a big meeting and a little meeting of some kind with, with other true believers? Uh, an intimate place where people honestly know your name, they know your story, they know what the challenges are in your life because you've been vulnerable enough to share them, they know what your needs are. 
See, that's what I'm so impressed with in the book of Acts. Here's, that's what we see over and over and over again. They, they got together in big groups, woo, celebration, and then they got together in small groups and, and they practiced these one another's in both of those places. Now, here's what I think most people are missing today. Most people, most, most Christians I know, what they're missing what they, what they really need is not just more listening experiences, kind of where they're getting lectured at. What they need is some places where they can crack open God's word, like this, an actual Bible, have a gifted, skilled, wise, mature leader who, who's been a Christian for quite a while, got some miles on them, and where they can ask honest questions about stuff they're going through and stuff that's happening. And that's what we see happening over and over again in the book of Acts and in the early church. In fact, let me show you one example of that. It's found in Acts chapter 18. It says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. That is John the Baptist, in other words. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila, these were early Christians who were close associates of Paul in, a, in more than one city. When they heard him, they invited him to their home and explain to him the way of God more adequately. Wow, that's interesting. Here's a guy, Apollos, who knew some scripture, but he had an inadequate understanding of what baptism was about and what God really wanted to do in his life. He didn't really understand it well. And so Priscilla and Aquila invite Apollos into their home and they explain to him the way of God more adequately. And Apollos goes, oh, I get it now. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. It clicks now. And he went on from that, it says, and preached powerfully over in Greece. So in other words, he kept right on flourishing because of the help they had given him. Why? Why was Apollos receptive to what they had to say? I think one of the reasons is because it happened in an intimate setting where he could ask questions, where there could be dialogue back and forth. We all need a setting like that. Two weeks ago, I had a great conversation with a woman in our church that I've known for many, many years, and I really respect her. Uh, she's been a leader on a number of different levels and places in ministry here. And since I didn't ask her permission to share this story, I'm not gonna use her name, otherwise I would. But I walked away from our conversation so encouraged, and she was telling me about her little small group Bible study that she leads. And she says, it's so much fun. People have tons of questions. I said, what do they ask about? They wanna know about politics. Whoa, and they disagree on different things and they have different political views. She said they wanna know about sexuality and gender and what's going on in our culture today. They wanna know about money and lifestyle issues. 
and modern cultural questions. She said, it is just amazing how many questions people have as we open our Bibles together. And I said to her, now that is gonna really grow true disciples right there. That's precisely what every follower of Jesus needs, a place where they can open the Bible and ask questions. Because look, on Sunday morning, people can't raise their hand and go, whoa, time out, pastor. Could you, could you just stop right there? I don't understand what you just said. Could you spend some time unpacking that, please? We just can't take the time for that on Sunday morning. But that can happen in most group settings. That's why I thanked her. <laughs> I thanked her again. And I'm convinced that that kind of solid biblical teaching is one of the greatest needs in the local church. Let me ask you, do you have a place like that? I'm not, no, I'm not talking about just the, the person you listen to on the radio or, or on the podcast. I'm not talking about just where you can go and get a lecture. I, do you have a place where you can go, excuse me, <laughs> can we talk about that? Because I really am trying to do this journey here, but that just doesn't, it doesn't all click for me. Do you have a place where you can ask questions like that? Now, I don't know what priority you've given to the local church, but I've settled it in my own soul. I'm absolutely convinced that I need the church. I need brothers and sisters in my life to sharpen me like iron sharpens iron. I need the church, and the church needs me. We're gonna talk more about that part next week, how that God gives us something that we all, we all get to contribute to this equation. You say, Pastor Rex, now wait a minute here. You're coming on awfully strong, buddy. Pastor Rex, are you saying that in order to be a Christian, I have to go to church? I have to? Are you listening carefully? No, I'm not. And can I tell you something else? As a married man, I don't have to go home to Debbie. I don't have to. I don't have to. I mean, I could, I could check in at Christmas and Easter. I... I mean, I'm just saying, just a hypothetical. As a married man, I could check in with Debbie maybe several times a year and see how it's going. And time could go on, and I, I might still be married. I might, I don't know. So no, 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 listen. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and you don't have to go home to be married. But in both cases, if you don't, the relationship is awfully unhealthy. Healthy disciples of Jesus are committed to engaging in worship and Bible study and prayer and fellowship and communion and all the other 57 one another's that scripture prescribes for us. And they do them, watch this, with, 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 with other disciples. I need the church. And the, the church needs me. Now here's, here's, why, here's why I'm so passionate about this. Because we live in a culture, again, in the Western world at least, where people are just dissing the church like crazy. 
I mean, you've heard it. You don't need for me to just it, in articles and in talk shows and and all kinds of podcasted conversations, the attacks from atheists and scoffers and even some people who profess faith, they're just vicious. Now, can we be honest? Some of the critique of the church is valid. You can say amen to that, that's okay. Some of it's valid. Some of us leaders are way too arrogant, okay? Some of us in the church are way too insensitive and kind of tone deaf to cultural needs. Some of the criticism about a lack of humility and a lack of compassion is true in far too many cases. The church, listen, is definitely made up of very imperfect people, people like me, people like you. That's why, you know, we joke and tell people all the time, if you find that perfect church, please don't join it. It's already wrecked the moment you join it, right? So we shouldn't be shocked when people diss the church. In fact, can I tell you, Satan has tried to stop the church in its tracks from the moment it got started. In the book of Acts, Chapter four, we read a passage where Peter and John were simply excitedly sharing about Jesus and the Jewish authorities were all upset with them and look at what they commanded them to do in Acts four. They commanded them not to speak or teach at all. In the name of Jesus, you shut your mouths about him. We don't wanna hear any more about this and they were freaking out because so many people were becoming a part of this dynamic movement called the church. The enemies of Christ have tried to stop it before it even really got started. Read the book of Acts for yourself. Everywhere they took the gospel, everywhere they got critiqued and persecuted. So the question is why? So as we wrap up today, I wanna try to tie all of this together by very quickly, very quickly, just mentioning three reasons that God just pounded and blazoned on my heart this week that I ought to share with you. I don't often... I don't often claim that kind of inspiration, but I'm claiming it today. God just hit me. He impressed me with these three things during my prayer time, and I scribbled them down. I wanna share them with you right now in these final minutes together. Three reasons why the attacks on the church are so vicious. And again, if you're kind of on the fence you say, I'm a person of faith, I'm a Christian, well, awesome. But if you're kind of on the fence about what priority you should give to the local church, I want you to consider these three things, and then we're done, all right? Reason number one, that the church is so viciously attacked is the church is God's A plan, there is no plan B. When you think about it, it almost seems crazy what doesn't it? That Jesus would risk the future of all that he lived for and died for in the hands of a few bumbling disciples. They had no buildings, no budget, no 401k plan, no job security. If they fail, the whole thing goes down. No wonder Satan, the arch enemy of God, would seek to discredit and destroy God's A plan. Doesn't that make sense to you? Because if he does, it's all over. It's no mystery that some of the devil's most vicious attacks would be against God's people, the church. Reason 
Number two, that Satan is so viciously attacking the church is that we are God's representatives in this world. We really are. And I want you to feel the weight of that today. Here's the way a great leader named John Wesley put it years ago. Here's what he said, and I quote, our responsibility, he said, is to give the world the right impression of God. Whoa. So in other words, every time a professing Christian acts badly, God's reputation gets trashed. And that's why it's so important that we be encouraging one another and keeping each other accountable to live lives that are, that are reasonably honorable. Because every time one of God's professing kids acts badly, God's reputation takes a hit. Look at what God's desire is for the church as found in Ephesians chapter three. This is a doxology where the apostle Paul under the inspiration of the spirit just goes into this doxological mode where he's praising God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church. In the church, God's idea is that his moral character, his glory, his righteousness, his passion for justice, his mercy, his love would be seen in us. Do you feel the weight of that? I mean, folks, that is a heavy responsibility. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. He gives us the power to pull that off. Without him empowering us from the inside out, that would not be possible to give the world the right impression of God. And make no mistake, the impression we give will always be a bit imperfect. It will, even in the best of God's saints. It's no wonder, no wonder Satan's mad at the church. No wonder he wants to convince disciples that they don't really need to be vitally connected to a local church. If he can disconnect them from other believers in a meaningful way, he has thwarted a lot of God's personal growth and life development that God has in mind for that Christian. Because here's the truth, let me say it again. I need the church. And the church needs me. Quickly, here's the third and final statement I felt God just wanted me to say to you. Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. In the Apostle Paul's farewell message to the Ephesian elders, you can read this in Acts 20. It's honestly, honestly, I think it may be my favorite discourse in all of the Bible where Paul is just sharing with them his heart as they're saying goodbye out on the beach that day. They're emotional, they're crying with each other, they pray, to, it's, it's an incredible passage. And here's one of the things that Paul says to these leaders in the church that he's leaving behind. Look at what he said. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. The church is precious to Jesus. 
because he bought it. He bought us with his own blood on the cross. He purchased our forgiveness from sin. He paid the debt for sin that I owed and that you owed and that we could never pay for ourselves. Jesus' death paid that for us. He bought us who truly belong to Christ. He bought us with his own blood. No wonder Satan hates the church. He'll find any dupe he can to diss the church. It it can be a sophisticated dupe or a naive dupe. Any dupe will do. But he's gonna diss the church and oppose it tooth and nail. Are you beginning to see? Are you beginning to see why the attacks are so vicious? And if you belong to Jesus and you're here worshiping God today in spirit and truth, can I... I know, I'm, I know my words are blunt, but I'm just telling you the truth. Satan hates what you're doing right now. He hates it, and he is out to do nothing less than to destroy your life. So here's the bottom line. I'll say it one last time. I need the church. And the church in some way, needs me. In the Bible, at least, there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. God designed us to be better together. Can we just pray for a moment as we try to process all this? Father, if I were hearing this for the first time, I'd probably be asking, well, what do I do? What do I do about this? So ask that by your spirit right now, you would make that clear to individuals and to families who maybe are kind of disengaged, who maybe for some reason or another, and there's all kinds of reasons, maybe you're just really people of genuine faith but are just disengaged right now. Help them to see that they need your people, the church. They need some Christians in their lives because the journey wasn't meant to be made alone. Help them to see that you bought the church with your own precious blood. And that's why Satan is so out to destroy God's A plan. He doesn't want people who represent the Lord well. So show them what their next step ought to be, their next step of obedience. It might be just to It might be just to say, today's the day. I'm gonna draw a line in the sand. I'm gonna get actively involved. It might be that today they would say, look, I'm gonna devote myself, commit myself to some kind of group where I can study scripture together. I need some fellowship in my life. I've been doing this thing alone for way too long. Do what you alone can do, Lord. Show what the next step of obedience should be. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.